You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Beckton on Sunday, August 29, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. As one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill, I have the joy of being able to open Scripture with you for the next three Sundays. And knowing what the Father has put on Robert's heart to preach beginning September 19th, it makes me even more eager for our next three weeks. Because I see it more as a, a divine restart. It came to mind this week, I was having issues with my streaming device downstairs with our downstairs TV. and So I thought it was a Wi-Fi problem contacted the Wi-Fi people who said, have you rebooted? I said, yes. Well, let's try it anyway. So I unplugged the back, disconnected, put it back in. Nope, no change. So he began to disconnect from his end, everything. Because again, I do not have the technical terms for what happens. But over time, glitches take place and accumulate within the device so they began to do a full reset to bring it back to its original strength, original width. Whatever those terms are they have, it becomes original again as it was intended to be. So what we learned was it wasn't the Wi-Fi. Even after all the disconnecting, it was the streaming device, which I've now replaced. But the issue was I didn't realize how many things in my house are connected to the router. So now I had to go back and reconnect all of those. But what surprised me was the strength, the clarity of all these other devices now that we restarted, put it all back to its original. As a follower of Christ, among followers of Christ, we can be honest with each other that over time, we can start to accumulate glitches. Specifically, uh, flinches, disappointments, confusions, frustrations uh, with people who are not followers, with people who are followers. And though we don't want to say it out loud, if you were to unpack it through the core, even that with God the Father. And so over time, you just have this core that's not connected to everything else the way it used to be seeing everything else the way we used to see it. And candidly, just need a fresh restart. So that's what we'll be doing for the next three Sundays. Specifically looking at the beauty of salvation. And we always see it in the New Testament, and we'll, we'll touch on that. But what I want to do for the next three weeks is look at the pictures of the beauty of salvation in the Old Testament that have always been there that enable us to see the beauty of the holiness of God and how that has affected our salvation. Next week, we'll look at the grace of God and the beauty of that in our salvation. And then two weeks from now, we'll look at what we experience from the Father in salvation, which is His promised rest. So before we ever get started into that, even this week, I'd like to pray over us as we try to disconnect a little bit right now, all right? So let's pray together. As we're 
even before I pray over you, I'm going to ask you to pray for a little bit. Just silently where you are. There may be things that, as you are racing to get here today, that are still on your mind. In fact, it was an effort just to get here because of being consumed with, and you can name it by name. Or maybe it was heavier to get here because of, and you know what it is. Right now, would you mind in prayer just saying, Father, I ask that you help me disconnect from that. I give it to you. Whatever it was, say, I disconnect, Father, I give it to you. You're in charge of that. It may be something that you're going to be facing this week. It's an unknown. It's something that already has you anxious. It could be a meeting at work. It could be a a meeting with relatives. Whatever it is that you're already heavy about but it hasn't even happened. In prayer to say, Father, help me disconnect from that. I give it to you. I give it to you. Father, as your own, as a follower, I I can't even hear you well without your help. I thank you, Father, that you are huge, strong, ever-present. And all that we've just downloaded to you, all that we've just dumped on you, you are more than capable to carry. So for followers who are here, fill us with your spirit. Help us hear you well. Help us, Father, by your hand to connect the dots with what you'll say through your word to what you're wanting to say to us. And Father, for those who aren't followers that are here, lovingly open their eyes. Make them aware of your nature. Lovingly draw them to you. May they be in awe of you this day. May we all be in awe of you this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if we're going to look at the holiness of God, starting with today, my first intent was to define it, but I realized it's impossible to define God's holiness. (laughs) I really won't know the full scope of it until I stand before him and see it. And even then I'll go, oh my, I had no idea. So what I'd rather do is describe it. There are beautiful passages in Scripture that help us describe the holiness of God. You saw one just a while ago. We'll get to that. But what's beautiful is, as God describes His holiness, He's basically saying, you understand, you're describing me. I am holy. You find this in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Very next chapter, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, you shall, excuse me, you shall be holy to me for I, the Lord, am holy. And have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now you get to the New Testament, which is what we heard earlier. First Peter 
chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, for you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Father has underscored that at least three times. To let us know he is holy. So what does holy mean when he says I am holy? It's a Hebrew word that means to be separate. Now this root word to be separate actually has sprouts coming out of it with other Hebrew words that appear. You have other words like sanctify and consecrate and many others that come back to this Hebrew word for holy. So when you see these words in Scripture, sanctify, holy, consecrate, 600 times in the Old Testament, 200 times in the New Testament, the Father is making it clear, I am holy. But what really grabbed me was R.C. Sproul's work of this. His classic work, The Holiness of God. He goes even further. He says, I know the root word means to separate, but there's a root of the root. And the root of that root means to cut. So you're, you're cutting to separate. As R.C. Sproul begins to look at how holiness is used in Scripture, it's a great description. It's not just that the Father is cut apart from us. When you look at his nature, he is literally a cut above us in every way. It is a beautiful distinction. Because you and I will say, well, God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is ever-present. He is wise, he is loving, he is kind, he is gracious, he is merciful, he he is just. And when you go through each of these, now you get to do it in comparison. His power, his strength is a cut above mine. His wisdom, a cut above mine. His love, his grace, a cut above mine in every way. Which leaves you now in such awe over God and his holiness. It, it, It gives you such a picture of that. That what I want you to do now is go to Leviticus chapter 10. If you want to see how the Father pictures his holiness, then you've got to see it in the light of this experience with Nadab and Abihu. It wasn't good for them. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, these sons of Aaron do something wrong. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to their dad, Aaron, This is what the Lord has said among those who are near me. I will be sanctified, and before all people I will be glorified. I will be seen as holy, sanctified. I will be glorified, seen in all of my greatness. And Aaron held his peace. So let's do the forensics on Nadab and Abihu. Uh, First of all, they were priests. 
Their dad, Aaron's high priest, and God intended for his lineage to become priests. So they were priests, but they were not the high priest. And the father had identified only the high priest could approach him. And only the high priest could approach him with the censers that the father had identified as holy unto him. But Nadab and Abu think, well, our instruments will be just as fine as that which God said was be right and holy. So we'll just use our own. And we'll use our own incense as well. And we'll come to him on a day he is not prescribed for us to come to him. In essence, Nadab and Abu, as the priests are saying, if this is good enough for us, surely this is good for God. And the father, knowing the ripples, if this continued by the priests, strikes him with fire immediately. And his exclamation point for doing so is, I am holy. So why was the father so jealous for his holiness? If you have your Bibles, go to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 9. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it's probably one of the more beautiful bridge books of the Bible. For all that you see in the Old Testament that the Father prescribes for his people to do for he is holy, you get the understanding as to why in the book of Hebrews. And now in Hebrews chapter 9, look what Scripture says. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, tabernacles, temples, which are copies of the true things, but he has entered into heaven itself and now appears in the presence of God on our behalf. If Nadab and Abihu had been allowed to simply say, what's good for me is good for God, they would have distorted not only the holiness of God, but the holiness of God pictured in Christ. Hebrews tells us that Christ himself is our high priest. We're also taught in Scripture that the sacrifice of Christ would rise unto God like an Old Testament sacrifice as a sweet-smelling savor because he came before God holy and unblemished in his sacrifice. And he came in the fullness of God's time to do this. And if Nadab and Abihu were allowed to simply say, good enough for us, good enough for God, we'd have lost the picture of Jesus. It had been distorted. So the father, with an exclamation point, said, no, 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 no. I am holy. I am holy. Here's the beauty of that with how the father does this in our salvation. Um, I remember years ago, there was a seven-year-old. I knew his parents, and he was asking them questions about being a Christian. And so I just asked him, I said, well, what's caused all the questions all of a sudden? He said, well, I was at my grandfather's church, and there was a high schooler who had become a Christian. He told the church the reason why was he, he learned that God is perfect, and he realized he could never be perfect. And what he needed then was to have Jesus in order to be seen perfect by God. And this little seven-year-old began to process this because he's a firstborn. Firstborns love doing everything right. And this little fellow said, I'll never be able to do everything right. Therefore, I want to know Jesus because I need Jesus. That's a seven-year-old. Uh, another church, another individual who happens to be 77 years old. I, I always knew when he and his wife were coming in, they, they usually came in late, but I understood why. He had a prosthetic leg. 
He had to use a walker. And so when he came in, that walker was unstable. He had uh, fingers missing from both hands. <laughs> so you can understand why they're late and why he's slow. But he would sit. He would listen. When they would leave, he'd have the same statement to me on the way out. Good sermon, preacher. And they were gone. Except one Sunday, he said, I, I need to talk with you this week. Okay. So I went to his house one evening, and he quickly went to the point. I don't know if I'm saved. I said, well, give me your spiritual background. What's your spiritual story? He talked about being a boy who went to church, was sitting on a back row with other boys. He was eight years old, and the church tradition was when, when the preacher finished preaching, singing would take place. Preacher would wait to see if anybody has questions or to come talk to him. So while people were singing and his friends were standing with him on the back row, a man came to him, put his hand on his shoulder, looked down at him and said, boy, it's time. And just walked him to the preacher. And he said, you know, I, I remember still doing everything they told me to do. And even since then, I've been doing everything people to tell, tell me I need to do just to be accepted at church and accepted by God. I said, okay, let's look what the Bible says about salvation. We began to look at passages that describe God's holiness, our sinfulness, and the beauty of Christ. And in his recliner at his house, God opens his eyes. He sees it. According to God's holiness, he sees it. And surrenders to Christ. Let me take a little time to talk about his baptism just for a moment. He was as giddy as the seven-year-old when I baptized him. I was not. I've got a man who is 77 years old with a leg that is missing and fingers that are missing. And he has to descend into a baptistry. And I learned during the week also that he has health issues with breathing conditions. So in my mind, I am very fearful. The moment I put him under, he's going to die. <laughs> so I have another deacon come get in the pool with me so that we can get him in there. And as soon as that water comes over, he comes up, I'm listening. <laughs> and he is still just as giddy as the seven-year-old. Because out of the holiness and kindness of God, God convicted him. And then God covered him. With his holiness. Let's look about that. Take your Bibles to. Uh, oh poo. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, let's talk about the conviction that takes place. Uh, Exodus chapter 19. You've got to see that, that the beauty. Of how the father convicts us over his holiness. And what I'm going to do. Is first go to this passage. In Exodus uh, chapter 19. Because I have a feeling. You're familiar with what takes place. In Acts chapter 2. Now, in Exodus 19, God's people have been delivered out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've also, uh, are there at Mount Sinai where God has told Moses to lead them. And now they go there and, and they're getting glimpses of God's holiness. It's foreboding. So, in Exodus 19, look at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Next chapter, chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses you speak to us and we will listen do not let God speak to us lest we die 
Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So on both occasions, when they see this, encounter this, in Exodus 19 and 20, they tremble at God's holiness. So now, let me just tell you what happens in Acts chapter 2. Feast of Pentecost. 120 of Christ's followers are obedient. They've gathered there in an upper room. They've been praying, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They've been doing that for 10 days. The Spirit falls. But the announcement of that coming of the Spirit was with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. We don't know if just the 120 heard it or maybe those in the street heard it. But it was there. And when it hits, the Spirit fills. They go into the streets and they are proclaiming the, the holiness of Christ to the people in every language that's there. And when those who have their eyes opened by the Father see this, They are convicted. Now, in Acts 2.37, it literally says they are pricked to the heart or stabbed to the heart. But if you take that word to its deepest meaning, it literally means to agitate violently. They are trembling. They are trembling over what they have heard and what they have seen. And they do the very same thing with Peter and the others, what Israel did with Moses. Listen, we don't know what's going on, but this is beyond us. You've got to help us. Speak, intervene for us. They ask uh, uh, Peter and the others, brothers in verse 37, tell us what must we do. And this reaction took place after encountering The holiness of God. Let me share one more thing that's just amazing. Once they come to this place of repentance in Acts, obedience in Exodus, they then get to see what the beauty is after the conviction. They get to experience dwelling in the presence of God. You find this in Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46. I will dwell among them, God says. I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Maybe a day, week after Pentecost, the gospel is still being said and preached. And Peter says this in Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The beautiful experience of conviction is that it leads to presence and dwelling with a holy God that beforehand and without Christ we could never touch on without being crushed by his holiness which leads us from this convicting to the beautiful picture of the covering the covering Uh, take your Bibles to Exodus 33 Exodus 33 while you're finding it uh, my story I, uh, I came to know Christ, and the Lord opened my eyes when I was six. 
and I'm grateful for that. By 13, I shared with my dad and the church where we were that since the father was calling me to be a pastor, and my dad, who was a pastor, began mentoring me. When I was 19 years old, he gave me my first book on spiritual leadership. It was Ernest E. Mosley's Leadership Profiles from Bible Personalities. Each chapter was a different Bible personality and leadership traits you see in them. I, I read the chapter on Moses, closed it. I don't know if I said it out loud, but it was louder than my head as if I did. I simply said, I don't want to be Moses. His resume just doesn't work. I mean, he, he may have done well to deliver them out of bondage, but for 40 years, where did they go? And in my mind as a 19-year-old, I didn't want that to be my story. However, this coming June, I will have been pastoring for 39 years. And my admiration for Moses is off the chart. And I love what happens in Exodus 33. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've had a long exodus. They've been given the tablets. They have the Ten Commandments. But still in Exodus 33. He says to God in a tent of meeting. I want you to know. I'm not going to go any further. Unless you assure me. You are going with me. And so in verse 14 of Exodus 33. You'll see it. He says my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. But somehow that's not enough for Moses. Because look at verses 15 through 16. And he Moses said to God. If your presence will not go with me. Well, wait a minute. What did I just say in verse 14? But he's still locked in. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, your presence, so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Again, the gift of the convicting and the repenting is the presence. And Moses is overwhelmed and he is simply saying, I need to be assured of your presence. Am I connecting with any dots you're going through right now? Overwhelmed with all that is being asked of you by family, by work, or all that you expect of yourself? Or... If you're a person who can see ripples of what one action may lead to and you can start pressing that out and now you are overwhelmed with worry because of what could happen, because of what is happening, you'd be just like Moses. I just want to be certain that you are with me. So look what the Father tells him in verses 19 through 23. And God said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but he said you cannot see my face for man shall not see my face and live and the Lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand till I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not see. What prompted God to do this? Moses. 
Moses is longing for assurance for all that he feels overwhelmed about was simply this. Lord, I'm asking you to go with me, but I need some assurance. Show me your glory. Hebrew, Greek, it doesn't matter. You put those words together in the simplest definition, it means greatness. Father, I need to see your greatness. What makes God great is what is the beautiful term, holy. Cut above in every way. I need to see your holiness. So what does the Father do? He said, you can't see it all. It will crush you. So I'm going to put you in a cleft. I'm going to cover it with my hand. I'm going to pass by, and you get to see my back. Now, R.C. Sproul does a better job at this, and it's kind of delicate to see. It kind of messes with my brain. But that word back doesn't mean his full back. It literally means you get to see my hind quarter. So he says you can just see a portion of my back because that's all you can handle. And the father does that because he's in the cleft and is covered. Okay, now let me talk about the covering we receive of the holiness of God in salvation that enables us to be in his presence just as Moses was, that enables us to see glimpses of his holiness and his glory just as Moses did. It's called being in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes about this throughout his writings. In fact, 85 times in his writings, God inspires me. He's overwhelmed. He says, in Christ, you in Christ, me in Christ, the church in Christ, us in Christ. And it's being in Christ that we are enabled to stay in the presence of God. We're in him and we're covered by him. It's the word atonement. It's a covering. And through that, we have the beautiful privilege to be in his presence. When everything else around us feels like it's taking everything from us and we don't have answers about it, we forget sometimes the grace and the beauty that we are in Christ which puts us with God. Think about Moses just for a moment. I used to think in my mind that uh, I wanted to not be Moses because I wanted to have my name attributed with some great things. So in my mind, and again, this is, this is a fallen nature. I still have a fallen nature. You have a fallen nature. So let's uh, give grace to each other. There are times where you and I really want to be a part of a great accomplishment because in our mind we think if I'm part of a great accomplishment, it shows how close I am to God. If I'm part of doing something great, then people will see my righteousness in doing that. But if you look at the life of Moses, he got to see God do amazing things in the plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea, in feeding people with, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? Every morning, keeping their clothes for 40 years from unraveling. He got to see all of that and more. But the only time the people could see the glow of God on him was when he came down from this experience when God gave him a glimpse of his holiness. It wasn't in anything he did. It was in the grace of God to let him be in God's presence. Oh, the beauty of his covering. I'm, I'm going to take a little extra time to show you one more example of this in the Old Testament. And it's in the life of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter um, 18 and 19. 18, what God feared with Nadab and Abihu occurred. The people thought, you know, if we can come to God in our own way, it will be fine. Over time, you start creating God in your own image. Maybe somebody else has a different picture of God. By this time, the people are worshiping Baal. 
Don't even acknowledge that they are God's people. They're worshiping Baal. Elijah, God's prophet, is feeling extremely alone in this, and he has a right to. There is a duel of sacrifices on Mount Carmel, and he's called all the nation there to see that. And there's 450 false prophets who set up their sacrifice who are crying to a God they made out of their own mind. So there's going to be no answer. But there's Elijah. And as he comes time to to offer his sacrifice, he has this beautiful prayer. Lord, let it be known this day that you are God and that you have turned the hearts of the people back again. And with that prayer, fire falls from heaven, consumes Elijah's sacrifice. And in one day, there's a national revival. With one cry, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah's thinking, great, finally, everybody's on the same page. But no, not King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They want Elijah dead. So in chapter 19, Elijah says, I'm done. How do I know that? He begins to run toward Horeb, and he releases his servant before he leaves. Now, for a prophet to release his servant is the same thing as a pastor selling his library. That's a message. I'm done. I quit. But still, he's heading to Horeb. Why is Horeb significant? Horeb is another name for Sinai. It's the very place where Moses saw, got a glimpse of, was in the presence of God. And you'll find in that chapter that God even helps him get there. But once there, God will put him in a cave. And the word cave in that that, that verse can also be translated someplace else, cleft. It could be the very same place, but put him in there. And there in the cleft... He will cause earthquakes, winds, and fires to beat against the mountain. But it never touches Elijah. Remember what we talked about a while ago? Sinai being in the cleft is being in Christ. Do you understand in salvation that's exactly what you and I have? That in Christ the wrath of God was put on Christ for us. The judgment of God was endured by Christ for us. So that in Christ... We are secure in his presence. What a gift that gives us, but that's not the whole gift. Still in his presence, by his covering, with his spirit, we have the ability, the gift to be able to hear his voice. And that's what happened in the cave. God spoke. Do you understand? With all the glitches that accumulate over time in your life and mine, from a fallen world that is all around us, For your own fallenness, my own fallenness, my fallen responses, your fallen reactions. All of this together over time begins to accumulate. I need to be in Christ to hear his voice in his word. Because Ephesians 6 says that his word is truth. And Satan who lies will love to have that accumulation on here. But by hearing his voice through his word, it cuts away the lies so that what is remaining is truth. Why is that important? Because in John chapter 17, on the night before Christ is crucified, he's prayed for you. He prayed for me that we would be made holy, sanctified by truth. He goes on to say, for thy word is, oh, you whispered it. Go ahead, let me hear it. Thy word is truth. truth. What a gift from the covering of the holiness 
of God to be in his presence and hear him through his word. And when that takes place, it leads to one other end of God's holiness toward us. He now conforms us with his holiness. All right. Uh, Take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. While you're looking for Isaiah 6, let me just read to you a, a passage that became dear to me for 18 months as I was just wanting to soak in the beauty of salvation in Scripture. And it's this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed. Now, the beauty of this is that word to be is not there in the original language. Yeah, I love this. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined conformed. If you are in Christ, the conforming will be complete one day. All right? But you'll be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And this word conform you might be familiar with to hear the word morph. So it means to change from within so the evidence is seen on the outside. But the beauty of this word image comes from Matthew chapter 22, verse 20. Christ uses this word when they're trying to trap him. Should we pay taxes? They even had political questions in. Should we pay taxes? And he said, whose image is on the coin? There's the word that's used here. And of course, it was Caesar's image. How'd the image get there? It was by pressing, pressing. Pressing, And the Father purposes circumstances in your life and mine while covered by Christ. And while Christ's Spirit is within us and through speaking through His Word to press into us the image of Christ. But that is not always comfortable. And that's why we're at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 5. And in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Face, I shall not see so holy. Feet like Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Flying around, seeing all this. He, the angels, seraphs call to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Of all the things they could use to describe God, the best to be said is holy. Because everything about him is a cut above and now we see in verse 4, and the foundation of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. In my King James upbringing as a child is, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You've got to know Isaiah's story. R.C. Sproul says that among people in Israel in Isaiah day, Isaiah ben Amos was probably the most righteous man in all of Israel. And yet he's at the temple with his experience because he had placed his securities in other things. Specifically, Uzziah. 
Uzziah was a great king. Now you do Old Testament studies and looks at the kings, you'll find most of the time it says uh, to describe a king, they did not walk as their father David walked. That means they were not godly. But Uzziah, he walked as his father David walked. He was godly. Most of his reign, last bit, he faltered. But most of it he did and people flourished. And so now that he is gone, you've got Isaiah going to the temple because his security is gone. And the father confronts him immediately. Not only that the father's not a security, but he began to show some of those glitches. The whole nation is a people of unclean lips. And you're among them. And Isaiah sees it and confesses it. And the, the, the way that he uses it here, he's saying, I'm undone. By seeing the holiness of God, this word literally means, I am being unraveled. I had my securities all set up. I had my plan all set up. I had my picture and my peace all secure and all these things. And now you're taking them away. And more than that, you are showing me your holiness like I've never seen. This is unraveling me. And the Father unravels those that are His for the aim to reweave us with a right picture of who He is. Who we are in Him so that He is glorified to us and for His glory through us. This part was hard and I have edited and re-edited and finally just gave up. Because I don't know how much of the story to tell. But you are my brothers and sisters. Um, there came a period of time in prayer. As I was teaching the congregation I served uh, through Nehemiah 1 through 6. About what to expect when living sent. Because as followers we are to be sent. Um, the father revealed to Lori and me Isaiah 43, uh, 17, 18. Where it says, forget the things of old. Do not remember past things. Behold, I'm doing something new. Don't you see it? There will be uh, streams in the deserts and pathways in the wilderness. And candidly, we obeyed when the Father said through that and other passages and answered prayer. We obeyed and we walked away from a church that we have loved and loved us for 18 years. Because we knew he was doing something new. And I thought it was going to be a new work. But actually, the new work was in me. We talked earlier on about the disconnecting to uh, reboot. And the Father was doing that for 18 months as I was just wanting to absorb the beauty of salvation. Beauty of salvation. And the Father just began to unravel me. Some things about Him and His Word that I hadn't seen before that just blew me away. And I began to get a little bit angry with Father. Why are you telling me this now? I'm in my late 50s. Why are you doing this now? I should have done it a lot earlier. He's not as linear. No, he is perfect in all his ways. But more than that, he began to show his holiness in other ways. Uh, because the time between serving uh, church and, and being able to be blessed by God to serve with you. It was 18 months and we had no income. And Lori and I are planners by nature. So our security is in our ability to plan because there's great security when you can be in control. So we had purchased a house, had been in that house for 11 years. It was going to be our retirement home. Without income, we could no longer afford it, so we had to sell it and started renting. We rented because we had no idea where the Father wanted us, why or when. We just had to still stay obedient, but still wondering, 
how are you going to provide during that period of time? One of my sons got married. We had the wedding. My other son who was married, he and his wife had our first granddaughter. Uh, My mom came to see her, fell at our house, was in the hospital here for two months. We had to fly her back ourselves uh, because she could no longer live independently, sell her house. And uh, we had to make three trips, flights. To this day, I have no idea how we financially did it. We were able to celebrate all of those things because the Father is holy. It was about me being secure in Him. Not in what I can plan, foresee, know, or do. It drew me to get close to Him because every day I had no idea what He was doing. Therefore, I got to be in His presence close. And I said all this, and the reason I'm giving it to you is not to say, look at me. Honestly, my story is not uh, isolated to me. You can just put your name in it and add some different details, but basically for many of you, it may be the same thing. And the father who is kind and wise was the one who convicted you in his timing to open your eyes to his holiness. He is the one that then brought you into his presence by covering you with Christ. And now he's the one purposing the experiences right now that you're scratching your head, that you may be crying over, angry over, uh, and in some day laughing over. Because he is conforming you to the image of Christ. It is the beauty of the holiness of a holy God. Therefore, we praise him for his kindness. All right? Let's pray together. Father, I know that Nadab and Abihu would not have said it was kind, and yet it was kind to the people of Israel for you to make such a statement about your holiness. It's kind to us, Father, because you wanted us to see the beauty of your holiness in Christ, that you do not compromise your holiness. Father, we see that even, Father, with the Lord's Supper, that we are about to take. Father, I just pray that you help us disconnect from all the things that have created glitches in our life with you and our picture and connections in life right now. Lord, help us still disconnect and reconnect afresh in you. Resting in your holiness, that you are at work and that we have the gift to be in your presence. And all this is made possible by Christ. Father, thank you. Drive that home for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Beckton at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.